1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com.
3: Moonpig.com.
0: Hi, I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30 minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Madeline Lucas is the author of Thirst for Salt, a novel. She's also a senior editor of Noon. Born in 1990, she was raised in Melbourne and Sydney as the daughter of a visual artist and a rock and roll musician. In 2015, she moved to New York to complete her MFA in fiction at Columbia University, where she now teaches in the undergraduate and graduate programs. And I can't believe she was born in 1990. That seems like so recent. But anyway, her essays and interviews have appeared in publications such as the Paris Review Daily, The Believer, Lit Hub, Catapult, The Lifted Brow, and Mean Gin. And her fiction has been awarded the Elizabeth Jolly Prize and the Overland Victoria University Emerging Writers Prize. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband and her dog, Poncho. Madeline recently did an event at Zibby's Bookshop, and you can see pictures of that on my Instagram at Zibby's Bookshop. By the way, if you want to go to other... Zibby's Bookshop Events, just go to Bookshop.com slash upcoming dash events. Welcome, Madeline. Thank you so much for coming on Mom's Stone Time to read books to discuss Thirst for Salt, a novel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, me too. Start off, please, by telling listener what Thirst for Salt is about.
3: So Thirst for Salt is the story of a formative love affair a woman had when she was 24 with a man 18 years, her senior, called Jude in a small fictional Australian coastal town called Sailor's Beach. They meet when she's on holiday with her mother and feeling adrift after finishing university, and quickly she finds herself pulled to the simple seductive rhythms of his everyday life. As their relationship deepens, she believes that life with Jude at Sailor's Beach might offer her the stability she's been lacking after growing up as the daughter of two drifters, a loving but impulsive mother and an itinerant, largely absent father. But the arrival of Maeve, a woman from Jude's past, threatens to rock their newfound intimacy. Now looking back on their time together years later as questions about family and home have gained new urgency, she has to reckon with the choices she made that year at Sailors Beach and how they shaped what she imagines for her life in the future.
0: Amazing. Thank you for that. I loved, by the way, how at first she was thinking 24 and 42, how the numbers were reverse of each other when she thought about Jude's age it like mm-hmm. helps, helps us, and the reader, remember how old they are too. So thank you for that. <laughs> this book is so beautifully written. It's obviously so literary and you did things stylistically in here, which sort of further cement that, like the lack of quotation marks mm-hmm. and even some of the typeset flourishes that you use. Like, Tell me about that packaging part of it mm-hmm. and, and the the form that you decided to take for the story.
3: Yeah. So I was really excited that, you know, my publishers supported some of those slightly more unconventional choices. I think for me, what I really wanted to replicate on the page was the experience of really being inside someone's mind and their memories. And so I guess I thought about it, if there was to be quotation marks, I would sort of see one at the start of the novel and one at the end, because in my mind, the narrator is kind of recounting or telling you the whole story, not necessarily spoken out loud, but I don't think of the dialogue, I suppose, as being a direct quotation, more of her memory of things that were said. And I think stylistically, I just liked the way it looked as well. It's a little cleaner on the page. And I know it can be a little alienating to some readers, but then I remembered Sally Rooney doesn't use uh, quotation (laughs) marks (laughs) and she gets away with it. So maybe I can too.
0: (laughs) And tell me how did you come up with this character Jude and their whole relationship and like what was it that excited you about writing about this over time and and also did you consider writing it not looking back from later but having it just happen and then fast forwarding at the end?
3: Yeah that was a suggestion that I got pretty early on when I was You know, trying out early versions of this novel in workshop, it had a very different form back then. Um, I was thinking of it more as collected short stories rather than a novel structure. And a few people suggested when they read the original draft, you know, why don't you just write the story of that summer? But for me, the narrative distance was always super important to the telling of this story. I think as a writer and as a person, I'm just much more at home in the past tense. Uh And, you know, one of the reasons I think I write in the first place is because I don't really understand how I feel about something in the heat of the moment. It's only through looking back and through writing it that I feel like I can kind of untangle some of those feelings or emotions. And I also think that especially in terms of relationships, We don't really know necessarily how formative they're going to be until afterwards. And I really wanted to see what it would be like for this narrator to look back on that experience that she had when she was, you know, in her middle 20s, now being closer to Jude's age and how her perspective on that dynamic would have changed. And I also think that, you know, one of the feelings that I really wanted to create in the novel was this sense of longing, both for a person and for a place and a time in your life that's no longer accessible. And if it was told in the present
0: tense, he wouldn't have that kind of distance. Mm, I like it. Good choice, then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't even know what made me ask that. I love hearing about why people make all the choices that they do, because there's always a reason. How involved were you in the cover? And like, because this cover is so perfect for this book.
3: Thank you. I love the cover so much. It was Beth Steidl at, at Tin House that came up with the design. It took a couple of rounds for us to get there, but I'm so happy with how we ended up. And I think, you know, my editor said to me early on in the process, I don't think any author is ever ready to see their cover, no matter whether it's good or they're bad or they love it or they hate it or however they come to feel about it. And I think she's right because it's really the first moment that you see your book as like a product that exists outside of your vision for it. And a book cover has all sorts of different aims, but I'm so happy with with where it ended up. And I love this idea of like a woman being alone in the water, because that's such a big theme for novel too.
0: Totally. Yes. It's amazing. What do we think about relationships that take place across big age gaps? I mean, this <laughs> is something... Uh, you know, a, a modern trope that is used all the time, not all the time, mm-hmm. but it happens. And um, my grandfather's second wife was younger than my mom. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, there are lots of relationships across time. And what do you think some of the the pitfalls or some of the, I don't know, what should we take away from their, from their relationship about sort of big gaps?
3: Yeah. I suppose one of the things I wanted to do in the novel is kind of resist coming out as for or against, or this is problematic, or it's not problematic, and just kind of wade into some of those complications that can happen when there's a a gap between ages. And I think you're right. I think it is like a familiar trope or a cliche. And that's part of the reason I wanted to investigate it, because I think, you know, cliches exist for a reason. These are patterns that happen. But I felt like I could bring maybe a little bit more nuance to this relationship than I'd seen portrayed otherwise. I think particularly in pop culture, if we look at the age gap between a young woman and an older man, it's often told from his perspective, right? And it's his desire for her that drives the narrative. And so for me, I think the question of like, what is this younger woman looking for in, in Jude, in this older man, that was kind of more interesting to me. And yeah, I just wanted to show the ways that she can also have agency, that she might also be teaching things to him or reminding him of things that he's forgotten at that point in her life. So yeah, I think in a lot of ways, I just kind of wanted to wade in and ask those questions rather than answer them.
0: Wade in is a good, you know, analogy for this book too. Yes, no pun intended. But <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> would you mind if I read a passage or two that I thought were like really beautiful? Please, of course. I would love that. So one is how you describe somebody because, I don't know, I find I've tried to write fiction, I find it like impossible to describe something that I have in my head and like get it down on the page. And I felt like you did such a good job. And then just across the page, you write about a description, which also was beautiful. So anyway, just two paragraphs. First you wrote, but how old exactly? I'd never been a good guesser of ages and I could no longer easily recall the way I saw him as a stranger. His face would become more familiar to me than my own father's. The crease between his brows that reminded me of a cowboy in an old movie bump on the bridge of his nose where it might once have been broken, though that day as he stood in front of me, wet hair wilting the collar of his shirt, patch of damp above his breast pocket like an ink stain, I couldn't guess how. A drunken fall, a fist fight, some feat of athletics long ago. He was handsome, though not in the way I imagined he would have been when he was younger. Burned out look around the eyes, deep set and slate that day, though I'd learned in time that they were changeable, like moods, like weather." That was so good. Thank you. (laughs) Then just one one more passage about the beach. Bondi Beach was crowded with bodies browning in the sun, tourists staying where the waves were waist high, never going out too deep, afraid of what might lurk beneath the dark and choppy water. Sand, hot and grainy and yellow, burned your feet to walk across it. It was not like sailors where bush grew around the fringes of the shore, making it feel sheltered, secluded. Down south, The sand was soft and white as baker sugar and you could scoop up handfuls of seawater, pool it in your cupped palms and watch it run clear as it slipped through your fingers. Oh, so good. You read that so beautifully. Thank you. Oh, thanks. It's so, it is so beautifully written. It's so evocative. Like I feel like every, the way you write it, it's calming. Like there's something about the cadence of it. That's like, makes me feel calmer (laughs) and just like you're, you're slowly like immersing us into your scenes and places and just these little like comparisons you draw or the way you do it so subtly really like brings us there without like you being too overt about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a skill. Thank you.
3: It wasn't easy. (laughs) It definitely took a lot of time and a lot of revision of trying to get that balance right, trying to allow the prose to kind of feel immersive, but also not dragging or too indulgent either with description. Yeah. Something I was thinking about a lot in the novel is, you know, the idea of desire. And I kind of wanted to capture this on one hand, an ambient sense of desire for like the life not lived, because I think that's so much of a part of who we are too, like the choices that we don't make in our lives and they can be just as formative as the choices we do make. But then on the other hand, kind of wanting to snap into these moments that would feel really visceral and alive and present. And part of the way I you know, tried to do that was through the descriptions of the landscape to just try and bring the reader into those scenes and into that place. I love it. I would like to go there. (laughs) So he made it up. (laughs) Well, it is based on a real town. A lot of Sailors Beach is drawn from the South Coast area of New South Wales, the Jarvis Bay region. And it is that gorgeous. You know, the sand is white, the water is turquoise, and the best places do feel really secluded and private and empty. It's less and less that way now, which is partly why I gave the town a fictional name. It gave me a bit more flexibility. (laughs) The specific beach I had in mind, Himes Beach, is now a very Kind of popular, wealthy tourist destination, and it's changed a lot from how I remember it from when I
0: was a child. I literally yesterday Tracy Cox, who hosts one of our shows, and I used to host a show with her. Anyway, she posted this be- a place that sounds a lot like what you were describing. She said where it was, mm-hmm. but anyway, I literally wrote back and I was like, "Where are you? I'm getting on a plane. Like, <laughs> I have to be where you are. It is the most gorgeous place. So you know, Australia is a little too far to hop."
1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com.
3: Moonpig.com
0: I really liked the depiction of... The, what is your main character's name? I'm sorry. I always forget names. She's actually name. anonymous. so that's Oh, great. Name. <laughs> Good. Great. Thank you for sparing me that. Well, I like the anonymous character's relationship with her mom mm-hmm. and how like her de facto and the closeness to her mom and the things that they understand about each other and don't and all of that. Tell me about that relationship and how, how it was writing that and just all about that.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that that came through because even though, you know, there is this kind of central love affair at the core of the novel, I really did want it to grapple with many different kinds of love. And the narrator's relationship with her mother is, you know, one of the most important versions of that. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I think of the novel as being a kind of very specific kind of female coming of age story. And I think so much of coming of age as a young woman And the choices you make are really influenced by the choices you saw your mother make, whether you're trying to choose actively against them or you're trying to emulate them. I don't know. I just feel like it's always kind of in conversation with your mother and and her life, especially when it comes to her relationships with men or, you know, her decision to have children and things like that. So, yeah, I did in a lot of ways see the narrator's relationship with her mom in some ways be more central to her relationship with Jude and part of that as well is that the narrator was raised until she was 12 as the only child of a single mother and I think that also affects the dynamic Um, you end up taking on different roles for each other and part of that is based on my experience too growing up for many years uh, you know as the daughter of a single mother and how you form a kind of special closeness
0: I think and then you had a sibling or what happened then? Yes. Um, two younger half brothers. Interesting.
3: <laughs> My narrator has one younger half brother. I, I couldn't quite manage to. <laughs> I didn't have space for that many characters.
0: <laughs> and I read in your bio, you have a rock and roll musician father. That's right. Yeah. And what was that like? Or were they divorced? Is that why you were sing- had a single mom? Or, yeah.
3: yeah. My parents, like my narrators, separated when I was very young and we moved around a lot when I was growing up. So a lot of this novel is not autobiographical at all, but there are elements drawn from my own childhood, especially what it was like to sort of grow up with creative, somewhat transient parents. But my dad is great. He's actually... You know, the opposite of a cliche rock and roll dad. Um, He was very hands-on when I was growing up. He's an amazing cook. He cooks like an English grandmother. I don't know. I think growing up the way that I did definitely taught me that people are always full of, you know, more complexity than you'd imagine.
0: Wait, I've never heard somebody (laughs) to be described as cooking like an English grandmother. What does that even mean? What does an English grandmother cook like? I'm like thinking porridge or something when you say that.
3: You know, like, like Sunday roast, Um, Uh He bakes bread, you know, upside down cakes, kind of classic old school. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Very traditional. He
3: was raised by his English grandmother. So I think a lot of that trickled down. Got it. (laughs)
0: And what kind of musician? Are you musical too?
3: Yeah. For um, most of my early twenties, before I started focusing on writing, I was in a band with my now husband. We played a lot in Sydney. And that was really my main focus. My dad is a punk rock musician. My music was very different. It was much more folk, country, singer-songwriter. And I love playing music. It's such a big part of of who I am. But I think that at a certain point in my mid-20s, when I was kind of having a similar reckoning to my narrator of, you know, how am I supposed to survive in the world outside (laughs) the institutions of family or university, I realized that I wanted... Still a creative life, but maybe one with just a touch more stability than I had grown up with. And so, my incredible solution to that was to go and get an MFA in creative writing, which now <laughs> seems hilarious to me that that was my, you know, stable pathway.
0: <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like stability. I think I'm going to be a writer.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a real testament to uh, the way that I grew up that that seemed like the
0: sensible choice. <laughs> yeah, interesting. That's awesome. You know, there are so many authors who have the the music gene. I You know, writing is such a creative act in and of itself, mm-hmm. right? It is art that writers create. It's just another form of it. So I've been finding lots of cross sections or overlaps. Mm-hmm. I remember a long time ago, my former mother-in-law said, well, you, you don't just write. You must do something else that's creative. And I was like, no, I can't paint. I can't draw. And she's like, there must be something. And I was like, well, I love photography. And she's like, well, mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> I'm like, there's usually something else when that part of your brain is activated, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think so. I also think it's healthy to
3: have like more than one passion just so you can kind of bounce between the two. Because, I mean, as you would know, inevitably with writing, you have these moments of frustration, of writer's block. And I think it can just be really helpful to have something else that you do that is creative, but you can kind of maybe just enjoy for pleasure a little bit more that doesn't feel as much like work.
0: Were you the singer in the band? Yes. Oh, did you have an <laughs> album or anything? Uh, we have a couple of things lurking
3: online on Bandcamp, but this was kind of in the pre-Spotify days. So there isn't too much of a internet trail, really. Okay. What was your band called? Devotional.
0: Oh, that's good. Wow. Yeah, it was very
3: kind of Mazzy Star-esque.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So you got an MFA for some stability. (laughs) Then you started writing and tell me what it was like sort of working on this novel and then even selling the novel. Yeah. I feel really lucky that
3: a lot of, you know, working through the novel was done while I was a student at Columbia
0: or afterwards
3: kind of doing this teaching fellowship. So I did have that sense of, you know, stability or structure and also felt like I, had time to make what I wanted to make, which I think is a really, you know, rare gift. So I kind of started working on it in Honest in 2018 after writing these stories for a little while that I was thinking would be connected. And then it was about two years of just working on it on my own before I signed with my agent We did some more revisions. Six months later, we sent it out. It's such a slow process publishing a book, but it made me glad that I didn't rush because it takes so long anyway. So I think there's kind of no point in rushing the part that really in a lot of ways is the most enjoyable when you're just alone with the project and it's just yours. That's
0: nice. And did you uh, start another project yet or are you done or where are you with more writing?
3: Yeah, I have an idea for another novel, but I'm kind of just enjoying letting it percolate in the back of my mind right now. I, I really feel that so much of the writing is done when you're doing other things and it feels good to just start to be thinking about something new. I also love writing short fiction and I'm excited now I'm kind of done with this novel and, you know, I'm doing a lot of publicity stuff for it right now, but I'm looking forward to kind of playing with the shorter form again and returning to that after working on, you know, something so long for so many years.
0: Yeah. Pretty soon you'll be down to poetry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now we yeah. see why
0: it's such an appealing form. <laughs> you yeah. Can, just like, like whittling it down slower and slower. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I can form. accomplish this in an afternoon and then just publish it. There it is. <laughs> Very rewarding. So what are some of the books that you love or have loved in the past or are reading now? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I feel like,
3: you know, inevitably, like my mind goes like whenever anyone asks me. I know, I'm sorry. I always do that too. But I can tell you for sure some some favorites that I've returned to, you know, during the process of working on Thirst for Salt. I loved The Friend by Sigrid Nunez. You know, we were talking about dogs just before this call got started there's an important dog character in <laughs> for salt too. And I think it's such a beautiful book. And even though it's, it's themes are quite heavy in terms of grief and suicide, I do find it really affirming and comforting to read because I think it, it's a reminder that there's always something to be gained from love, even if it inevitably risks, you know, is there's a risk of loss. I also loved Marilyn Robinson's housekeeping. That was another big influence on Thirst for Salt, the way that she thinks about, you know, absence and transience and how that can shape the way someone inhabits a home. I also loved this book called Territory of Light by Yuko Toshima, which was a Japanese writer, originally kind of publishing in the 70s, I think, but only recently translated into English. And it's such a beautiful book about a woman and her young daughter in the aftermath of a divorce and their kind of very circumscribed day-to-day life in their apartment in Tokyo and I actually read that in the pandemic and it was one of the few things that even though it was written for another time really connected with that experience of feeling really isolated in this like tiny little micro domestic world and that really stayed with me
0: as well. That's great who are some of your favorite singers songwriters bands like what do you listen to when when you're working when you're not working oh that's such a great question i think in a lot of ways i'm drawn to music that's similar to the
3: books i read like i love atmosphere i love texture confessional emotion yep you know a lot of my favorites are kind of country folk musicians so like lucinda williams joni mitchell i mentioned mazzy star before again very kind of immersive and textural.
0: I feel like it's so clear, like the tone of your book. That's why I'm asking you more about the music piece too. Yeah. Because it just feels so, I don't know, lyrical, I guess. Mm -hmm. Anyway, (laughs) what advice would you give to aspiring authors? Yeah, I think kind of
3: circling back to what I was saying before, I would just encourage aspiring writers to take the time that they need to make the thing that they want to make. One of the beautiful things about writing a novel is that you know, you kind of live in this project for a long time. And I think, especially with a debut, one of the things that's so special about first novels is that they contain all of your growth during that period, both as a human and as a writer. And, you know, the rewards of publishing are really highly unpredictable. So I think that it's also just important to trust your own vision and try and remain focused on, you know, the story that is most important for you to tell. Because I feel like there's no other reason to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much, Madeline. And congratulations on Thirst for Salt. Thanks again for doing an event at Zimmy's Bookshop in Santa Monica. And I'm so sorry I wasn't there. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Hope our paths will cross soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for chatting with me. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, okay, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>
2: Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com.
3: Moonpig.com
0: This message comes from BOF sponsor, eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it.